Thank you, girls. Appreciate that. From time to time, we need to be reminded just to stop, don't we? And just let God speak to our heart. We get moving pretty fast in life, and life goes by awfully quickly. But sometimes God wants us to just be still and uh, remember who he is and focus on him rather than ourselves and all that we have to do. And uh, God does some amazing things in those moments. I'm sure glad that we have our friend Dr. Alan Fong here to preach today. Dr. Fong pastors the Heritage Baptist Church in San Leandro, California, which is a right uh, neighboring city, a suburb, I suppose we could say, of Oakland, California, a very diverse and needy area of our state. Uh, Oakland, California is not a place where a lot of people desire to go and plant a church. But I'm thankful for Dr. Fong and his burden for the city of Oakland. And growing up in the Bay Area and living much of his life there as a businessman, uh, God touched his heart for the people of Oakland, California. I don't know that you as a student here at West Coast have a better friend than Dr. Alan Fong. Uh, this man loves you. He loves your generation. Dr. Fong doesn't just show up here once in a while to preach. Dr. Fong is a member of our pastor's advisory board and spends uh, a number of days on our campus in meetings with us, trying to encourage us, trying to give us ideas, and trying to strengthen those ideas that we already have. He also serves as the president of our legal board. And so last week, Dr. Fong was on the phone with us for about two and a half hours on Thursday in those board meetings. And so he's investing his life, his time, his energy. And uh, we sent him about, I don't know, 500 pages to read before those board meetings. And I don't know if he read them. I didn't. But, uh, uh, but uh, I'm sure he did. And uh, I, when you help write them, you don't have to read them, okay? So, uh, but I'm thankful for Dr. Fong. And just every time we're on the phone with him or have a meeting uh, that deals with all the legalities and things about the college, what comes out of his heart is always, we've got to get these students trained. We've got to get them to the mission field. We've got to get them to our cities. We've got to get them planting churches. And he just has a passion to see your generation do something great for God. Pastor Chapel often says, Dr. Fong is about 60 years old, but he's pastoring that church and living his life like he's 30. And I agree with that. And just has a burden to do something with the days that God has given him to serve the Lord. And I know that spirit will rub off on us this morning, and I'm so glad he's come to preach. I know God's given him the message I need, and I trust that you're feeling the same way. So let's stand and welcome Dr. Fong as he comes to preach this morning. Amen. Thank you very, very much. Take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22. I want to say hello to our students. Abigail, where are you? Abigail Lau, raise your hand. Where are you? I told your dad I'd say hi to you. Where's Abby? Is she here? What are you doing over there? I'm just teasing. And then Thomas is over here. You guys are all on my right side. That's good. You're on the right hand. Amen. That's a good thing. Well, these are election days. Apostle Paul said, I exhort therefore... Prayers, supplications, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all the authority. Let me say this today. Regardless what ballot measures get passed, regardless who gets into office, it doesn't change the mission of this college. It doesn't change your calling. Whether we get someone that's, that thinks like we do, and agrees with our platform, or they're opposite of that, churches still need to get planted. Preachers still need to get called. Churches need to be strengthened. You and I need to live for God. We still need to be light in this world and salt for people who are thirsty. Amen? So I want to encourage you, regardless how this turns out, let's pray it turns out the way we want it to turn out, we're praying for it. But let's pray that God will continue to burden our heart a greater desire. Missionaries still need to be sent out. Mission students. Be, hey, by the way, the doors of West Coast Baptist College need to stay open. We need to be recruiting students from around the world, not just around the country. Pastor Chapel's vision was not limited just to the nation. It's for the world. 
And when you think about tracks, everything going on with tracks, and you probably heard all the different discussions. You know, Pastor's heart was, we've got, we've got missionaries, and we've got folks overseas, and it's very difficult for restricted nations to get their students over here to a school that doesn't have accreditation. And what a blessing to, if we can get this done by next year. The opportunity opens to train more people and uh, for the ministry and more things to happen. And we're probably living in one of the most exciting times in the last 2,000 years, and you're a part of it. You're part of people that are going to make a change and a difference in this world. And we're praying that God will just do something great in your hearts. I appreciate all that's been said. I appreciate the leadership here, the friendship that I've had here for 19 years, going on 20, actually 20 years, going on 21. And Heritage Baptist Church owes its existence. Its origination is founded because of West Coast Baptist College, Lancaster Baptist Church, and Pastor Paul Chapel. And I tell everybody wherever I go that really our sending church was Lancaster Baptist Church. And my call to ministry came being under the influence of Pastor Paul Chapel. And so I am indebted to that. And I realize as we go forward for Jesus Christ that we're in this together. We're not, we're not 700 people in this room going a different direction. We're 700 people going the same direction, Amen. serving the same Lord. Amen? Amen? Same Bible, same objective. Proverbs chapter 22, go with me to verse 17, please. Bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise. And apply thy heart unto my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee. They shall withal be fitted in thy lips. That's a great thought. That thy trust may be in the Lord, I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge? That I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that sent unto thee. Now go to verse 28. Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. I'm going to preach a message just for a few minutes. A very simple thought. Don't move my rocks. Don't move my rocks. By the way, don't move your rocks. You might lose your rocks. But don't move my rocks. Father, bless, I pray, our time together. Thank you for these students. I pray for burdens in this room, that the burdens will be lifted at Calvary this morning. Help some student who's having a difficult time because of finances or trials at home to catch hold of the promise found in Psalm 55, 18. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Help some man this morning who's struggling with his calling, all the students who might be struggling in an area of obedience. Help some this morning. There's conflict in their soul and their hearts that they've not told anybody about because they're wondering, is this where they're supposed to be? And Father, this morning as we've read just these verses of Scripture, I pray that you'll help us to have discernment a tender heart, to bow down our ear and listen carefully to the words of the wise. And Father, I'm not preaching from knowledge and wisdom. I need the unction of the Holy Ghost this morning. Use me this morning to be an extension of Pastor Chapel, of what he's invested. For Dr. Getch and Dr. Rasmussen, the men and the faculty here have invested for many years. Use me as a servant this morning. Help us to realize the result, regardless of the election results today, we're one day closer to Jesus coming. And there's a lot to be done. We're to work for the night is coming. And I pray this eve, this morning, that the Holy Spirit would just come down upon this auditorium as he's done many times before. We're praying today that you'd stir us. Give us a spirit of revival, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For you students here today, there will be a day coming for some of you. You'll have the privilege and opportunity of buying your very first residence, your very first home. And when you do that, when you go through the whole real estate process, one of the things that's going to happen is they're going to run a title report towards the end of that, that close of escrow. And the title report, as you'll discover, is going to give you all these descriptions, and you basically want to know that there's no encumbrances on that property. You want to know that you're getting the property title free to you. 
But with it, you're going to have all these charts and things of that nature that civil engineers have done that did that, the diagram for you in the title report exactly where the boundary lines are, exactly where your property lines are, so you know exactly the extent of where your property lines are. And you want to know that because you don't want intruders on those property lines. And you want to make sure you're not accidentally intruding on the property marks of your neighbors here. The Bible says here's something that was very important, very prominent. It was actually something that perhaps through years of counseling that Solomon did, because remember, the people of the kingdom brought all of their needs and concerns to him, and most likely there were people of... Um, they had civil business disputes about uh, boundary marks and landmarks, and perhaps God, the Holy Spirit, put on his mind, you know, I need to tell these people that I'm writing to that they need to consider the landmarks in their lives. And he said in verse 28, Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. Now it's repeated again in chapter 23, verse 10, and you'll notice he says this again, Remove not the old landmark, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. Now this morning, let's take a few minutes to look at what is the subject, the subject of a landmark. What is a landmark? Why was this so important that this is mentioned several times in Scripture? Why did Solomon bring this up twice to his son Rehoboam? Why did he say to Rehoboam in verse 17, Bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise and apply thy heart unto my knowledge. Why did he tell his son, Remove not the ancient landmarks. Remove not that's been passed down from generation to generation. Why is this important for all of us? I want you to notice some things about landmarks this morning. Number one, consider with me the definition of a landmark. Landmarks were clearly established boundary lines. Prior to Israel taking possession of the land of promise during Joshua's time, wells and fountains were landmarks. You write this down, we don't have time to read it. Isaiah chapter 26, verses 17 to 26, we read about, we read about the wells of Isaac. Those were property rights that were passed down to him by his father Abraham. When Joshua led the children of Israel to claim the land of inheritance, boundary lines were set, landmarks were set, landmarks were markers. Now write this down. Number one, landmarks were property rights, very important. They were legal property rights. Landmarks were property rights. Let me read you some things here. Laying down these landmarks helped ensure present and future generations of their inheritance and what was to be passed down to each family. As you received your land inheritance, that was to stay in your family. It was meant for you to pass it down to future generations. And so what they did is they started inheriting the land. There were cities and prescribed areas, but open fields so that you'd make sure that you didn't infringe on your neighbor. They would take large rocks and those rocks would establish the boundary line. And those rocks were to be kept in a certain fashion way. You knew exactly what belonged to you and what was supposed to stay within those boundaries and outside of those boundaries what belonged to your, your neighbor there. Notice something else here. Careful genealogies were kept and rigid laws were enforced to see that the land was kept in those families and that it could be reclaimed in the year of Jubilee. Notice this. When Israel was occupying the land of promise, each family was to lay down these rocks that clearly established their boundaries. Now, as we look at this, property rights were being established. The landmarks clearly established where families would live, where their crops would be grown, where their livestock would graze, and where buildings would be built. Think with me for a minute. Landmarks established as an in an agricultural economy, where your crops would be would grown, where your livestock would, 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 be, would, would, would flourish, where your buildings would be kept. Those landmarks were very, very important as property rights. But notice something else. Landmarks were not only property rights, landmarks were protected rights. God had some stern things to say about the protection of landmarks. In Deuteronomy 19.14, Moses, in preparing them for getting into the promised land, said this, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which were of old time have set, which, of, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess him. Listen again, thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark. In essence, God was saying, don't move those rocks. You leave those rocks alone. Notice something else here. Deuteronomy 27.17, Cursed be 
be he that removeth his neighbor's landmarks, and all the people shall say amen. Proverbs 22 and 28, Proverbs 23, 10, Solomon told his son Rehoboam, remove not the ancient or the old landmarks. Listen to what Job had to say about landmarks in Job 24, 2. Some, someone had moved someone else's landmarks, and this is what Job had to say about him. Some remove the landmarks. They violently take away flocks and feed thereof. Dishonest people move landmarks. Unethical people move landmarks. Honest people are careful to make sure they don't disturb where the landmark is set. Careful people were to, to observe these landmarks as I establish them. These property rights are going to be passed down to future generations. I need to be careful to preserve these landmarks. God took very seriously these landmarks. Listen to Hosea chapter 5 verse 10. Hosea 5.10, God spoke about the princes of Judah who moved the boundary lines or landmarks to take advantage of future generations. Listen to what he said. The princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound. Therefore, I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. Now, you take your time after this morning and you study this tonight as part of your devotion. God took very seriously the establishment and the laying down of landmarks. This was very important for successive generations. God was very concerned about that. On one hand, you are not supposed to move anyone else's landmarks, but on the other hand, you are to make sure nobody moved your landmarks as well. We have a definition concerning landmarks, but notice number two, would you consider the duty concerning landmarks? Proverbs 22, 28, remove not the ancient landmarks. A few hundred years have passed by the time Solomon wrote that. Property rights have been established. Those property rights were protected rights. He said, remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers had said. He said, don't move those rocks. Take a look at those rocks, son. He says, son, there's some ancient landmarks I'm passing down to you. You are the son of a king. By the way, aren't you glad we're sons of a king, Amen. I'm sending some landmarks, and son, you're going to be king one day. You're going to succeed me. And these landmarks I'm sending, he says, remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. Don't move my rocks. Listen, we have a wonderful story about a man who was given property rights. And this man held tightly to his property rights because they were protected rights. He would not relinquish his property or his landmarks. Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 21 very quickly, please. 1 Kings 21 verses 1 to 3. And notice with me the story of a man by the name of Naboth and how these landmarks or property rights he held tightly to what uh, years before the Solomon had talked about. 1 Kings 21 verses 1 to 3. He said this, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel hard by the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. Je this man Naboth was a neighbor to, to king Ahab and he had a wonderful beautiful vineyard and Ahab spake unto Naboth in verse 2 saying give me thy vineyard that I may have it for a garden of herbs because it, is, because it is near unto my house and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it or if it seem good to thee I will give thee the worth of it in money. Now let's step back for a minute. Ahab comes to him he knows what the laws of Israel say. He knows the landmarks were established. He knew what property rights would be. But he looked over his wall and there in Jezreel he said, you know, I like that. I like that plot of land right next to me. I want my neighbor's land. He's got a nice vineyard and I'm going to make a trade with him. And so he's making a business proposition to him. And this proposition, business proposition to anybody who's into real estate investing or into making profit, it's a very lucrative proposal. He's saying to him, listen, why don't you give this to me and I'll give you a better vineyard for it. He says, listen, this is what you have, I'll give you something much better. And when I think of something much better, I think of maybe more land. I think of perhaps maybe maybe a double vineyard of somebody's. He just said, I just want your vineyard. I'll give you something better for it. And he says, if you don't want what the better vineyard, I will give you the worth of it for money. In other words, he's saying, listen, I'll give you an open checkbook. You tell me what price you want to establish for this, this piece of land, and I'll write the check and give it to you. He's offering a wonderful business proposition from a business perspective. But notice verse 3. Naboth understood something about Proverbs 22:28 and Proverbs 23:10, and he knew something from what Moses said there in Deuteronomy chapter 19 about the protection of property rights. And property rights were to stay within that land and within that family. And Naboth said to Ahab. 
The Lord forbidden me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Notice what he said there. He said, the Lord forbidden me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. In essence, he was saying, if I can paraphrase this, he said, don't touch my rocks. I'm not going to move those rocks, and you're not going to move those rocks. You can't have this inheritance. You might offer me a better inheritance, but I'm not going to give, I'm not going to move these rocks. You might offer me a better vineyard, but don't touch my rocks. You might give me more money for it, but don't touch those rocks. He said, whatever it may be, I don't want you touching those. It belongs to me. It stays in my family. I'm thinking about my son and his sons and great-grandsons. This property, this vineyard was passed on from my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. Nobody's touched those rocks. Nobody's moved it, and you're not going to move it. Don't touch those rocks. Those rocks belong to me. Now, this evening, this morning, as you look at that, you see these landmarks defined for us. These ancient landmarks are the principles and precepts contained in the Word of God. These landmarks are established boundary lines that God has given to us doctrinally, morally, ethically, and relationally. I get asked every now and then when I come on the campus by students, do you have some advice that you want to give me? One of the pieces of advice I'll give you this morning is know where your boundary lines are supposed to be. Establish those boundaries. Establish boundaries in your marriage. Establish boundaries for your life. Establish boundaries in who your association are. By the way, that's why we were given Psalms 1-1. Blessed is the man that walketh not the counsel of the godly, nor standeth in the way of sin nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Listen, if you're going to be a successful Christian, you've got to know your boundaries. You've got to know where the landmarks are. These principles that are given here in Proverbs 22, 28, whether you like it or not, whether your friend tells you opposite or not, the Bible makes very clear, remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. Now this, this, after, this morning for a few moments, as a pastor, I'm concerned. Let me tell you my background just for a few minutes. I'm concerned about your landmarks. I'm concerned about many of you who are of a younger generation than myself, exactly knowing where your landmarks are. I got saved in a church that, that put itself out as an independent fundamental church. I got saved in a church where the gospel was preached. I got saved in a pastor that preached all the counsel of the word of God. But a time came when the church got into trouble. I came to, I was in that church for 20 something years. I got saved in that church. I got baptized in that church. I served in every capacity of that church. I got to a place where I was a deacon in that church long before I got called to ministry. But the pastor had some issues that went on that disqualified him from the ministry. And the church was in a situation where it was in a quandary that moment. There was a kind of a vacuum of leadership at that moment. And I was one of the deacons there remembering on December 31st, back, back many years ago, as the deacons, uh, we were meeting and we were discussing and talking about uh, the church and its direction, and there was hurt because people that were hurt in the church and people, there were just a number of issues going on. And I listened for over an hour as men that were my peers that I grew up with, who I thought believed the same things that I believe, who held to the Bible as being the Word of God, all of these things. And I started finding out that these men, we were not on the same page about things. And I remember getting up in this deacons meeting and telling these men, guys, I understand people have been hurt and understand bad things have happened, and I, my heart goes out for all those people, but I want to remind you this is still the church of the living God. The pillar and the ground of truth is still the bride of Christ. And Jesus said, what happened in Matthew 16, 18 doesn't change. He said, upon this rock I'll build my church. And I said, listen, I know our pastor has fallen, but that does not mean that the office of the pastor is mistaken. The office of the pastor is still found in the word of God. And we still got to keep the church moving in the right direction till God raises up the right man. Well, listen, they, they heard what I said. They kind of scoffed at it. They went a different direction. Two years later, the church made a total different direction. It's not even anywhere near where it once was. It was a church that at one time ran 1,100 to 1,200 people back in the late 80s and early 90s. Today, it's a fraction of what it used to be. It's, you wouldn't even recognize it as a church. If you walked on the campus, you would even ask the question, is it a church? My family and I came to the place of realizing we're not going to change. We're going to hold to what we believe. We're going to hold to the Word of God. But as we did so, we realized that we could not fight against that situation. And over time, we quietly humbly moved ourselves out and off of that. Now I'm going to fast forward to today. I've been through the experience of watching churches go through a drift and men go through a drift and men thinking, I'm going to seize upon the great idea of the day. Let me tell you something this morning, young man. You are put into ministry here at, at Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College. You're under, the, you're under the leadership of a man who has paid the price more than you'll ever know, who has sacrificed more than you'll ever know, who's given his life many times over so that this college could be an existence to train you for the ministry so that you can go forward and do something great for Jesus Christ. But let me tell you today, there's some of us here today who are seeing a lot of changes and a lot of movement. Let me encourage this morning, you're to promote truth and not trends. 
You're to, you're to promote fundamentalism, not a fad. You're to walk by faith and not according to a fad. Hey, fads change. Things change. I've watched this thing over 46 years. I'll be, have saved 47 years, December 4th. This during the same cycle, the same circle. Hey, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. Everything's going through cycles. And we're going through a new cycle again. And everybody wants a different idea. And everybody wants to seize upon a better method, a better way. I would propose to you the best thing you could do when you're in Bible college is know all the Word of God and bow down thy ear and know the certainty of the words of truth. I remind you this morning as we stand here, someone has established some boundaries for us and someone has established these boundaries and we're told in the scriptures, remove not the ancient landmarks. I want to say to you, sir and ma'am, remove not those ancient landmarks. Don't move those rocks. Amen. Let me give you some rocks this morning we better hold tightly to. First, I want to encourage you to hold, don't move the rocks of the scriptures. I said don't move the rocks of the scriptures. The landmark of the word of God. The Bible is not becoming the word of God. It is the word of God. We don't have a piece of the word of God. We have all of the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, and you've got to go back to the original language, pasa, grafe, theonustos, all scripture, every word is God breathed. It's the inspired word of God. It's the inerrant word of God. It's the infallible word of God. I've been saved 47 years, it hasn't failed me yet. Amen. And by the way, it's not going to fail me. Amen. I might fail it, but it's not going to fail me. It's a preserved word of God. We're taking around trying to find translations to give us a different twist. And I'm going to remind you this morning as we sit here, God miraculously worked through the translation of the King James Version of the Bible. The Texas Receptus, the Masoretic text, giving us what we hold in our possession today. We must remind ourselves that all modern-day versions of the Bible were translated from unreliable, corrupted manuscripts that trace their roots to two men, Westcott and Hort. And basically, you look at the, the, Greek, the, 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 uh, the Greek text today, that, where we've got the Word of God, there's basically two major uh, Greek texts. It's either the, the, the received text, the TR, or the critical text, Westcott and Hort were the, were the forerunners of the critical text. And from the received text, we have our King James Version of the Bible. And listen to some things we need to be reminded of this morning. And, I, and I'm not the expert. You've got experts here in the college. But there are approximately 8,000 word differences between the TR and the critical text. There are more than 2,800 words from the TR that are omitted in the critical text. This, this equals almost about the total number of, of verses that you find between First and Second Peter. Consider the NIV, which get all these other variations, these, new, these newer, more contemporary versions coming out. There's some derivation of the NIV trying to prove upon the language was there. And if you look at the NIV as a whole, and you're just getting the baseline of where it was with the translation, 45 entire verses are deleted or seriously questioned. When you look at all these verses, it does two things that are very suspect. One, it waters down a truth. It removes a doctrine or makes the Word of God as a whole very suspect about what it's really teaching. Now let's take a moment very quickly and look at some of these. Look with me at Luke chapter 2, verse 33. Luke chapter 2, verse 33. I want to give you three or four today. We need to move on. But look at Luke 2.33 with me. And we have to remind ourselves that anything, any translation that is going to interfere with, the, with, with doctrinal integrity and moral integrity is suspect. And notice in Luke 2.33 in your King James Version of the Bible, the Bible in upholding the virgin birth and upholding that Jesus Christ was a sinless son of God. Notice in verse 33, the Bible says, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Now you may take that for granted, but the NIV and his cousins say something like this. It basically says, the child's father and mother. Excuse me, Joseph was not his father. I said Joseph was not his father. The modern day virgins say the child's father and mother. Well, you say, Pastor, you're just making a big deal. Yeah, I'm making a big deal because the virgin birth is a big deal. A sinless Christ is a big deal. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 37, familiar to many of you here. Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And these modern day virgins, verse 37, 
is, 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 is basically, it's footnoted. It's not there. It's footnoted. It says in some translations there. Notice verse 36, Acts 8, 36. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now notice what verse 37, if verse 37 is not there, notice what happens. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. Hey, hey. You remember verse 37 when it talks about the eunuch believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he says with his own heart, he makes a profession of faith, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You admit verse 37 and it leads you to believe that baptismal regeneration is in the Word of God. That's a problem. That's a problem. Say amen if you believe that's a problem. Amen. That's a problem, okay? I mean, it's, it's these modern-day versions. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.18. 1 Corinthians 1.18. Well, someone will say, some smart look will say, well, you know, Pastor, I like the New King James Version of the Bible, okay? Okay. So go with me to 1 Corinthians 1.18. In our King James Version of the Bible, which is translated from the TR, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us, notice, which are saved. Which are saved. You know what it says in, in, in the modern day versions? Which are being saved. Salvation is a process. It's not instantaneous. Which are being saved. What are you putting in someone's mind? And we can go on and on. There's so many other verses like that. I think, I think of over in, in, uh, in Colossians 1.14. In Colossians 1.14, in, in our King James Version, the Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You know what happens in these modern-day versions? The blood's taken out. You say, is that a big deal? Yes, it's a big deal. We, we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, amen? It's a big deal. You say it's not, it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. If God, by the supervision of the Holy Spirit, preserved His Word and getting us to the English language or the King James Version of the Bible, we can have faith that the Holy Spirit knew what He was doing. Oh, I'm saying this morning, don't move the rocks of the Scriptures. Don't move the rocks of the Word of God. You don't need another version. Everything you need is right there. God gave us this so that you and I could be students of the Word of God. May remind every preacher in this room, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be shamed, rightly divining the Word of truth. Get your Bible out. Get your study tools out. Get your dictionary out. And know the Word of God. And while you're knowing the Word of God, let the Word of God know you as well there too. Don't move the rocks of Scripture. Hey, secondly, don't move the rocks of soul winning. Soul winning's hard work. Soul winning's not easy. Soul winning, no one masters soul winning. You are growing and becoming better every time you're out talking to people about Jesus Christ. But I remind you this morning that soul winning is a mandate. Psalms 126, verses 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy, and he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. What a wonderful promise for sowing. Proverbs eleven thirty: The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Daniel 12, 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Matthew 28, 19, talking about the mission of the church. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Listen, I'm reminded today, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says this, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. John 15, 16, Jesus said, You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain. Listen, remind today, the Bible mandates that we are to be soul winners. The Bible mandates that we make so winning a priority. I remember when I first became pastor at Heritage Baptist Church, there were a few people that were left over that were not very happy about the fact I made a strong emphasis on soul winning. And so a person made an appointment with me and said, Pastor, you said that, the, that sowing is, is the main thing. They wanted to refute me. And I said, yes, I did say sowing is the main thing. It's not the only thing, but it is the main thing. Amen? Every May I go on vacation right, right after Memorial Day for about eight or nine days. My wife and some members of my family. I use that time basically to kind of decompress before the, the summer comes. Let God work on my heart. We go to the same location all the time. And I just love being there at 5 o'clock in the morning as the sun's starting to rise up and just trying to walk with God and get the mind of God on a number of things. And one of the decisions I made this past year, my, my, my vacation time, I said, Lord, I, I need to come back. I've got to be different. 
I said, I beg God, I beg God for seven or eight days. I said, Lord, please don't help, help me that this coming summer is not a fruitless summer. Remember, I got back and I made it. I started as I got one or two days before we, we got back. I started making phone calls and appointments. And a lady from our church, who's from the Philippines, her mother and father were visiting with our church in, in the area. Her mother and father were not saved. And, and her mother was uh, basically of a Catholic background. And I put them first on my list of people I wanted to see. And I asked, I, I asked this lady, I said, hey, Mrs. Uh, I asked her, I said, hey, can I see your mother and father, Mr. and Mrs. Dominguez, and visit them for a little bit? And she set the appointment the very next day we got back. I went to her home. The mother was, had just gone in for surgery for a brain tumor that was removed, and we're thankful that it was a benign brain tumor. And I sat down with both of them, and I sat down with Mrs. Dominguez next, next to me, and she started to feel very faint because she's just kind of recovering from the surgery. And I thought, oh, man, this is going to kill the opportunity here. And I started praying under my breath. I said, Lord, please help this lady that she has cognitive ability to understand everything I'm talking about. And we kind of transitioned from the, from the couch, and Kathy being next to us, we went over to the kitchen table, and they brought us some tea and some Filipino paper. And I always love visiting my Filipino members because they always fill me up with Filipino pastries. Amen. But I said, I didn't come to eat the pastries. I came to tell you about something wonderful. And I'm thankful 45 minutes later, Mr. and Mrs. Dominguez trusted Jesus Christ, their personal Savior. Well, I went on from there, and that Saturday I went with my son Justin, who oversees all of our soul winning discipleship at our church. And I said, Where are you, Missoni? And he told me an area off of Oakland. And to be honest with you, I dropped my, my staff training I do for our staff. I, guys that are not from our area, I, I take them through all the rough parts of Oakland. And I kind of watch as it gets a little rougher. I watch these guys, they're sitting up right Dr. Getch, and I notice they start slouching down in the seat a little bit lower and a little bit lower because they're thinking, this is pretty bad on this area. I said, it's okay, we're in daytime, but let me tell you the secret to survival around here. When you drive out here, if you get lost at night or you're making a call here at night, just remember this, in these parts of Oakland, there are no red lights, there are no stop signs. Pastor said, it's okay, just keep going. Amen? You just keep driving, okay? And so uh, I, I, we went to this area, it's one of those areas there. It's a city, the street name was called Gormley. And we went off Gormley Street, and we pulled up in front of a house, and he said, hey, just on the street dad we're knocking doors yesterday and this lady was just getting out of her car she was getting into the house it looked like her grandson she was carrying a bag and i said did you talk to this lady he said yeah i gave her a flyer yesterday let's skip her i said no i want to talk to that lady the holy spirit said go talk to her i went up to that lady and said hey ma'am how you doing i said i'm pastor fall and she turned around it was about 10 o'clock in the morning on a saturday and she looked around and was kind of thought who is this guy that's standing here in the middle of oakland here and just calling out to me. i said hey i'm pastor of heritage baptist church and i always tell people this we're your neighbor from the corner i just didn't tell them how far away the corner is amen i just were your neighbor from the corner. And I said, we're your neighbor from around the corner, and I came here to uh, just invite folks to our church. We've got a lot of wonderful things happening here at this Baptist Church this summer. I'd like to invite you to come. And we started talking outside, and uh, she said, you know, I've got this food in my hand, and my grandson's hungry. Do you mind if we go inside? And I said, well, who else is in the home besides you and your grandson? She said, my mother's home. I said, okay, we'll come inside, but we're just going to stay in the living room. So Justin and I went inside there in the living room, waited. She got her grandson settled down. She said, tell me what you want me to know. And I said, ma'am, let me ask you a question. What does the word grace mean to you? He said, grace. She said, well, something good? Mercy? Favor? I said, those are all good answers. And I tell you, the word grace means mercy I don't deserve. This lady, Barbara, a tear came down her eye. Tell me more. I took her to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and had her read the scriptures to me. We're halfway through it, Dr. Rasmussen. We're halfway through this woman's crying, weeping. She's almost to the verge of saying, what must I do to be saved? 30 minutes later, this lady named Barbara trusted Jesus Christ, her personal Savior. The other day, we're getting ready for our friend day. We're out knocking on doors, and I took a man that's helping us develop our Spanish department. We just started hitting some doors, and we came to this one house, and a man was behind the doors, a young man about probably six foot two, and, and uh, he said, well, I'm busy right now. I said, wait, before you close the door. So we got a wonderful friend day coming up on October 28th, and I just want you to come see our church and see some new buildings we put up, and I'd just like to get you the chance to just see what it's all about there. I said, would you, do you mind just opening the door if I can give you a flyer invitation, and I'll talk to you when you come. One be knows to me, he came on friend day, and we had, uh, we had Dr. Farrell preach that morning, and we had a wonderful friend day service, and as he gave the invitation, this man by the name of Victor was one of 25 to 30 people who stood up and received Jesus Christ their Savior. One of my deacons that took this young man, Victor, aside and had talked and made sure that he understood what he heard. He received Jesus Christ as Savior. And Brother Aaron brought this young man to me. He said, Pastor, I want you to meet Victor. Victor said, you knocked on his door and left a flyer at his door. He says, he wants to know, do you remember him? And I took a look at him. I said, yeah, I remember you. Yeah, but I said, I just kind of blanked out for a minute. But yeah, I remember you now. And uh, he came back to church on Sunday and we're thankful for that. But I'm just saying to you guys, I can tell you so many stories about winning souls to Christ. So winning. Don't move the rocks of soul. And listen, it's the lifeblood of the church. You've got a real 
realize that people come and go out of churches and we've got to keep sowing. He's scheduled as one of the disciplines of the church and one of the directors of the church. We're going out and when he sows to Jesus Christ. Don't remove the landmarks of the scriptures. Don't remove the landmarks of so many. Hey, listen this morning because I don't have a lot of time. Don't remove the landmarks of your schooling. Now, you're either training as a man the call of God and the leading of the Lord's in your life to be a pastor, or you're being trained to support a pastor. First thing you do, all of you in the room, first thing you do, beyond asking the pastor who hires you, and I know you got interviews today, coming up, beyond asking what are my job responsibilities, to show you have some spiritual integrity, you need to ask the pastor, pastor, where are the boundaries that you want me to be within? Where are the landmarks that you've established? What is it I can do? What is it I can't do? God does not put you in a staffing position to bring your vision to that ministry. And God does not put you in a staffing position to supplant that pastor in years that he's put in there. He puts you there to hold up his hands, just like Aaron and Hur held up the hands of Moses while, while Joshua was down in the valley fighting the war. He puts you in the capacity to help fulfill the vision of the pastor. Do you ever realize this? I, sometimes my, my staff comes by the door and they'll say, Pastor, is there anything we can do for you? And for 20 years, for 15 years, excuse me, for, but, for 15 years, but I tell everybody this in my life as well. I say this. I say, yeah, there's one thing you could do for me. I need more time and I need the power of God. Did you realize as a staff person, you get hired on, if you're paid for a 40-hour work week, if you do your job right, you're giving the pastor 40 hours in the week he doesn't have right now? Not come up a business background. Time is money. Time is opportunities. But in the ministry, I look, time is also souls that need to get saved. Can you fathom the thought in your learning process, in your schooling, of being able to give the man of God 40 hour, extra hours during the week? Can you imagine if the average pastor got, had five men in his church who could give him 20 undivided hours a week each, and that's 100 extra hours? Can you imagine what a pastor who's got the vision of God for the work, what he could get accomplished with 100 extra hours in a week that he doesn't have right now? I'm just saying today, as you look at the schooling, you're being, you're, you're being, you're being indoctrinated with Scripture. You're being indoctrinated philosophy of ministry. You're being trained the right habits, the right things. Listen, don't throw it away. When you graduate from here, don't throw it away because you found Joe Cool on the Internet who says, well, we're doing it this way and it works. Listen, pragmatism will always tell you it works, but I'm going to tell you this morning, the Bible will never fail you. God has every strategy, every plan you need to get you to do what needs to be done. Now, granted, we're going to have maybe a different idea about friend day and open house that will, be, that will help bring people in. But I remind you today, we, don't, we can trust God's word and we can trust what has worked in the past. It can still work today. And by the way, if you want testimony of that, come up to the Oakland Bay Area and see Heritage Baptist Church. Amen. We're in an area where it's very ethnic diverse. I told Brother Shepherd today, I said, you know, I just, I love the ministry, I love pastoring, but I feel there are days I'm passing four, maybe five churches because I've got a lot of different language issues and, and a number of other things on top of that. And if you know anything about the San Francisco Bay Area, I mean, we've got all the winners. I mean, Diana, Diane Feinstein's in my area and, and uh, Kamala Harris is up in our area and Nancy Pelosi's in our area and Barbara Lee's in our area and, and I could just go off the names. I mean, we got all the winners up in my district up there. It doesn't change the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heritage Baptist Church should have never succeeded. But there's just a few people that when that church started says, we're not going to move the ancient landmarks. Remove not those ancient landmarks. Don't move those rocks. Don't move those stones. Remove not the ancient landmarks. Finally, this morning, we see the definition we see the duty, as I close this morning, to consider the decision. Go back from Proverbs 20 to 28. The decision concerning landmarks. Now, I purposely did not read verse 29, but I want to see how verse 29 contextually fits in with verse 28. And actually the whole context of the, of the passage there. Solomon is talking to his son Rehoboam. Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. 
And then he turns, and it sounds very abrupt, but it's not. Because he could tell by the face of his son, his son was, had different ideas. He could tell his son was thinking, I, Dad, I understand that, but I think if I move these landmarks a little bit, I could get more done in my kingdom. And we read later on about Rehoboam, he did move some landmarks. He moved those landmarks far enough that he wanted splitting the kingdom. How would you like to have your legacy? You split a church. How would you like to have as your legacy that you hurt somebody's life and somebody fell out of the ministry because of some crazy idea that wasn't scripturally based? And he looks at his son. He says, son, I'm going to give you a motto. And he, I'm not sure he was pointing to. We don't know. But look at verse 29. Seest thou man diligent in his business? What was this man doing? He was holding true to the landmarks. Seest thou man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. I was in my third year of business school. God gave me verse 29 in my devotions one morning. And as a business school student, 20 years of age, I claimed that for 20-something years, I said, Lord, you promised, seest thou man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings and not before obscure men. You know what God was telling me? Alan, if you keep your life straight and you walk with me, you keep your doctrine straight and your morals straight and all these things, he says, listen, I will bless your life and keep you in front of decision makers, not people. People are going to waste your time. And I'm saying to you in the ministry today, as you look at verse 29, God will enable you to stand before men that are decision makers and men that can get the vision done and men that can get things done, not before people are going to waste your time. So let me give you some things this morning, the decisions we should make about these landmarks. Number one, would you write this down? Be discerning. Romans 16, verses 17 to 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Now you need to establish right now where your landmarks are. If you're not convinced about the doctrine, soteriology, the doctrine, pneumatology, you need to go back to the professor taught it and get straightened out today. You need to get right with God on that. Sorry, I'm going to be real strong about that. If you're not convinced about what world evangelism is all about and the winning of souls, you need to go see Pastor Chapel and get right with God about that this morning. He says right here, mark them which cause offenses and divisions. For the Bible says in verse, 19, uh, verse six, uh, 18, For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Number one, be discerning. Number two, go with me to Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 7, excuse me, Hebrews 13, 7. Obey them that have the rule over you. Who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. While you're at West Coast Baptist College, you've got some great models to follow. But I'm going to tell you where our problems lie, why landmarks get moved. It's a submission problem. A word synonymous with submission is follow. Follow the leader. Please fathom this this morning. You're in the heart of a ministry who has seen great days, and there's still greater days to come. Don't blow it. Don't miss it. Study Pastor Chapel. I'm in the ministry because as a businessman, when Spiritual Leadership Conference, those early days we started at Pastor Chapel, would say something like this to me, that when we came down as laymen, Brother Fong, he says, I normally keep my senior pastor sessions for senior pastors, but you're my friend. I think you'd benefit most from that. I can still remember right by the middle section back, I'd sit back there feeling very intimidated, very much like a fish out of water because I'm sitting with all these senior pastors. I don't know really what's going on, but God, did, God knew I needed that. God was using Pastor Chapel to put the call of the ministry in my heart there. And I'm watching from a distance, watching from afar. God's working my heart, giving me all the philosophy, the practices I need, the habits I need, and knowing how to be a good pastor for that. I took all, I soaked it in. God, God only knows what he was doing through Pastor Chapel. Learn from Pastor Chapel. Watch him, study him. Watch these men on the platform. Watch. They're stable men. They're steadfast men. Hey, they're men that haven't removed their landmarks. Who's faithful. Then notice 2 Timothy 3.14 and we're done. So, Brother Fong, that's a little bit strong. Well, you know, in 2 Timothy 3 we have a man... Every morning he woke up, he heard the executioner sharpen the axe that was going to one day, one day come down and chop it, sever his head from his body. And he was talking to a young man, his protege in the faith, whose name was Timothy. Timothy had some other ideas about the ministry. They weren't bad ideas. 
But Paul had to help him, remind him what he was there for. And where to be discerning and where to follow the faith of those who are before us. But notice verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. The story is told of a rock in the North Sea, just off the coast of Scotland. It was an area of the water that was very treacherous to ships. Because when high tide would come, it would cover these treacherous rocks, and many mariners would make their way through to think it was safe because the tide was high, only to wind up running their ships aground, and many lives would be lost. People from the shore would watch devastation after devastation after devastation. And one man got into a little boat and rowed his way out there when the tide was low, and he got a large bell, and with a chain on it, he wrapped it around this rock there. So that way, when the tide went up, the bell would always be ringing. So it would warn people that were coming by in their ships, and then the bell was ringing. There's a rock underneath all that. A year after that man put that bell there, a pirate came, and the pirate saw that bell. thought, well, that's a big bell. I can get some money off of that. Look at the look at these metal this is made out of. And he somehow, when the tide was low, he went out there and took that bell off and removed it. A few months later, there was a shipwreck. It happened to be the shipwreck of the same pirate who moved the bell. The man who took that bell, one of realizing the consequences of having his ship run aground by that. And I wonder today if God is ringing our bell today. Remind us, there's some landmarks have been set. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to reinvent the church, amen? You don't need to reinvent the Bible. You don't need to reinvent so many. You don't have to reinvent everything that's there. Do you realize this morning, we only have a little bit of time left before Jesus comes? Remove not the ancient landmarks, what thy fathers have said. Some of us this morning, our biggest need today, very simple thought, our biggest need this morning is just to have a heart of submission, to submit ourselves to the Lord, to his word, and to the work of the ministry. You're here entering, if you're here at West Coast Baptist College for any other motive than to be trained to serve Jesus Christ, you'd ask God today, God help me that I get my motive right and I'm serving the Lord with a heart of submission. Father, today, thank you for this passage of scripture. Thank you, Lord, for Solomon's warning to his own son, holding firm to the ancient landmarks. And there's so much to be said from this passage of Scripture. And I love these students. Pastor Chapel loves the students. The administration of this college loves these students. And somehow, Lord, we get in these theological debates and these discussion chat rooms. We're discussing away things that have been settled because the Bible says forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. We're trying to unsettle things that you've established. And this morning, if nothing else, I pray you deliver us from a heart of disobedience to the freedom that's found in submission, to the freedom that's found in following the faith of those who have spoken to us the word of God, of being discerning, of being separated, And Father, this morning I pray in the gentleness of the words of the Holy Spirit that you'd speak to our hearts as being in complete alignment with the direction, the focus, the philosophy, the mission of Lancaster Baptist Church, West Coast Baptist College, of all the sending churches that are represented here. Please keep some man that you've called to the mission field, some man that you've called to be a preacher, to stay true, and that we make a determination today here in Bible College on the 7th day of November to remove not the ancient landmarks which our fathers have set. There might be this morning a student here who's not saved. The landmark's not been set. And they, they don't have a rock they're standing upon. And maybe today they need to stand upon the rock, which is your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray for some student who's been hiding their feelings and trying to park away somewhere and not let anybody know they're not saved. I pray this morning they get saved. Father, have your way. This invitation, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Dr. Getch.